Well, fall is in the air. Can you guys feel it? It's, uh, it's, it's wonderful for, uh, for the construction workers. Now we don't sweat like crazy as we work. But. So I enjoy it. I know if Neil was here, he would not like it. He likes 90-degree weather and working in it. And I say, no, I rebuke that. Well, um, I felt like I should do this this morning. So I, I, I lead worship at the youth group on Wednesday nights. And uh, I've been been preaching at them whenever we do, whenever we go into worship, that that your words have power. And maybe some of you guys know that. Maybe some of you guys don't. Maybe you've felt it, experienced it. But what you say has power, and that's because Jesus gave us the authority. He gave us the keys to unlock things in heaven and on earth. And so, what I have our youth do is. Um, I have them, what we do is I have them get into an act of surrender. And it doesn't mean, it, it can be physical, it can be mental, it can be whatever. I, I preach mental though. I want you to act of surrender. So that just means that you're opening your heart and you're surrendering your, your spirit, your soul, your thoughts to Jesus. And we, get, we do this to get ready for what's coming. And we're getting ready to meet Jesus. We're getting, getting ready to, um, to worship him. And give him our full attention. And then I have him say, Jesus, we welcome you here. Because again, your words have power. And he's here, but he can come even stronger. He can meet you even stronger. His presence can fall. There's, there's stories of, you know, the, the Holy Spirit coming and there's just a cloud. You can't even see through the cloud because the presence is so strong. And that can happen. Not saying it's going to, but it could. So I'm going to ask you guys to do this. Whatever it looks like, like to you, get in an act of surrender, and specifically your heart and your thoughts. Try to clear, clear those thoughts that keep running through your mind. I mean, you know, hundreds of thoughts every hour. And so just quiet your spirit, quiet your soul. An act of surrender. And then every voice, why don't you guys say that? Say, Jesus, we welcome you here. Thank you, Father. We welcome you here, Jesus. We give you permission to move. Thank you, Father. Come again. Spirit, fall again. Be here with us as we worship you, as we praise you, as we lift up your name. And we surrender ourselves to you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. It's good. Well, let's worship, guys. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We give you first place in our lives. I don't mean to drag this on, but guys, this could be a turning point for you. Come on, in your heart, with your own mouth. I'm not going to force you to do it, but he wants to be your first place, and then he wants to give you everything you'd ever need. Over in abundance, joy, peace, love, favor. All of those things come when you put him first. So come on, in your heart, if it's with your own words, in your mind, however you want to do it, with a heart full of surrender, 
Tell him you're going to make him first place and actually mean it. Jesus, I give you first place in my life. Jesus, I'm sorry for when I've put other, other things in front of you, but Father, today, it's a turning point. I'm giving you first place, Jesus. And all is for your glory, Father. All is for your glory, Father. feel a peace in here. God is good, is he not? Well, Jesus, thank you for everything you've started. And thank you, Father, that you're going to keep that fire burning. That you're going to stick with us closer than a brother, closer than a friend. And Jesus, we just say we bless you when you love you. We bless you when we love you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you guys greet your neighbor or the person next to you? God's good. How many are glad you're alive today? Praise God. The rest of you are not glad you're alive? Well, I'm just so excited about um, this kind of time of the year. We are um, in two weeks, two weeks' time, We'll be celebrating 41 years as a church. Whoa. So my, my wife and I uh, and a few brave souls, committed souls, started Destiny Church 41 years ago on uh, two weeks, oct- the first of October. First Sunday of October we started. So it was... Um, Hopefully that maybe we, we have a video we're going to show you in a couple weeks, but also we're going to be, um, maybe, maybe I'll get you some pictures or something. You can see me with brown hair. And <laughs> I look exactly the same other than that. I look exactly the same. I have, I, oh really, much better? He's looking for money, but I, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> so, I mean, really, God really helped us a lot. How many would agree with that? Someone goes, I know you. He had to help you. (laughs) But we are excited about that uh, celebration time. Uh, Last year, we had a celebration plan, but COVID kind of knocked us out of the saddle a little bit. But uh, this year, we're going forward. Praise God. But uh, I want to give you the opportunity to, to give this morning. And so if the ushers could please help me. If you're giving cash or like a receipt, for your giving, you can um, uh, just slip up your hands. One of the ushers will give you an offering envelope. Otherwise, you can just make your checks out to Destiny Church. I keep thinking about what, what week will it be when I say checks and people won't know what it is. You know, what's a check? It's like, do you guys know what cassette pl- cassette, a cassette is? How many know what an 8-track is? I remember I used to, when I first got saved, 8-tracks were in. I had an 8-track in my car, and uh, I used to go down the... I shouldn't tell you this. Don't do this at home. But I used to go down the highway 
with one of these old gospel song, you know, gospel quartet, like the Happy Goodmans, singing those old gospel songs. And, and I used to steer with my knee and clap my hands going down the interstate. About, you know, I drove like a crazy person, but weaving in and out of traffic going, God is good. But anyways, but those days are over. Actually, my wife tells me now, man, you drive slow. But anyway, so I don't know what that means, but so let's take our offering in our hands. And again, I say this almost every week that I do the offerings. Thank you so much for being faithful in your giving. You know, we went through this pandemic period here and we lack for nothing. And in fact, we did better than we normally did. And that's because of you guys, your faithfulness to God. And we're just so thankful for your giving. So let's just pray over our offering. Lord, thank you that we can give. We're just so grateful, Lord, that you are the giver of every good thing and you have abundantly blessed us. And Lord, now we just return back to you a portion of that which you've so graciously given to us. And we do it, Lord, with a willing heart, a willing attitude, a grateful attitude, cheerfully, Lord. We just do it in Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Go ahead, men. You can pass the buckets. So, um, so that's going to be our celebration in two weeks. Um, also, on Wednesday, uh, not, not this Wednesday, it's October 6th. So I don't know how many Wednesdays that is. I think it's two more Wednesdays. We're going to start having Wednesday night services. And we're going to, our topic will be how to get along with everybody all the time. This is no kidding. I went to a conference one time and uh, I actually stayed longer because the past, the preacher, he said, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to do a, we're going to do a series, a, a, a seminar on how to get along with everybody all the time. I thought, wow, I need this one. So I actually paid, I think it was 30, he gave me a discount. I think it was only 25 bucks. And so I paid it. You know, his opening statement was? You can't get along with everybody all the time. <laughs> I said, I want my money back. I mean, I already knew that, but it was actually a good, it was a good conference, but seminar. But anyways, um, so we'll be starting that on uh, October 6th, Wednesday at 6.30, right here at the church. We'll be doing some, um, you know, some a short teaching, break out into power groups and discuss what we're talking about. But uh, so we just encourage you to come out for that. Um, I don't know if there's any other announcements. Is there anybody think of any? But anyways, um, so how many are glad you're here this morning? So we've been we've been going through um, just foundational type stuff, um, foundational type teaching, not not deep stuff. And one of the things that I did was I took on uh, the uh, the Protestant, the foundation principles of the Protestant Reformation. And there's five of them and they're. They were written originally in Latin, and so they have kind of a, you want to put those up there. Um, they're kind of like, you know, sola scriptura. That means by scripture alone. And these, like I said to you before, that when these were put out there, when they were published, they are very radical. Now, they don't seem that radical today, but they were very radical because the church at that time was basically into a works religion. And so for you to say, well, first of all, and they also believe that not only did the church, not only did the scripture have authority, but the church had authority. 
and, and tradition had authority. So there was like three things that had authority. So Martin Luther, he put out, no, it's Scripture alone. Scripture alone is final authority in all matters of, of doctrine, all matters of conduct. Scripture alone. Everybody, even the Pope, has to bow to Scripture. And so that was incredibly radical. In fact, so radical that he was tried. Martin Luther was tried and he was found guilty of being a heretic, not because he violated Scripture, but because he violated the Pope. And so, um, and he was condemned to death, but his followers hid him away for a year, and then they got involved in some holy war or something, and so they, um, he, he, he kind of made it <laughs> by God's grace. And, and so that, that's, the first, that's the first one. We talked about that one for two weeks. The second one is sola fide, or faith alone. We're talking about that again today. The third one is sola gratia, which means grace alone. And think about how, what these are, grace alone. When you think about grace alone, we're talking about we're saved by grace alone. And, um, you know, Paul said in, in Romans chapter 11, in verse 6, he said, And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. It cannot be based on works. If by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. So you can understand this, that the minute you add a requirement to it, like you say, well, you got to pay your tithes, or you got to go to church, or you got to read your Bible, all these things you should do. But if you add that to it, it stops being grace. It's no longer grace. Just like if I said, if I was going to give you a gift, and the minute I was going to hand it to you, now I need $100, you can have this gift. The minute I say $100, it stops being a gift. And every great word, like righteousness, eternal life, salvation, um, all those great words, justification, in the New Testament, they're all called gifts. The gift of righteousness, the gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation. They're all called gifts. So when you require, like somebody goes, well, you got to bring forth fruits of repentance. You have to show God that you mean business by, you know, quitting this or quitting that. Or, and I think you should quit things that are wrong, but that can't be the basis of salvation. Otherwise, because salvation's by grace. Otherwise, grace isn't grace. Now, somebody says, and, and this, is a, this is a very real, uh, a very real concern. People say, well, if you preach it like that, People will have a license to sin. How many know that people sin anyways? Whether you give them a license or not, they sin. But here's what's interesting about this, is that Paul said in Romans 6, verse 14, he said, listen to this verse. He said, for sin shall have no dominion over you. How many that's a good thing? Sin shall not control you. Sin shall not be master over you. Why? Since you are not under law, but under grace. Paul's understanding of grace was not that grace is something that God gives you and then he's okay with sin. He's never okay with sin. God wants us to be free of sin. You know, the Bible says you're not free until you're free of sin. Because the Bible says that he that commits sin is a slave of sin. And so grace isn't an excuse that you can sin now and God doesn't care. What grace is, it's the power, the inward power to change and transform your life. The power of grace, the, when grace affects your, hits your life, what happens is it starts causing you to do what you couldn't do in your own self. And that's why 
um, you know, the Bible talks about sin. It says that he gives greater grace. He gives greater grace. Why? So that you can overcome sin. God wants you to overcome sin because he wants you to be free. How many can see what I'm saying? And so, uh, so grace is, is really very important. See, and grace is, here again, the word is unmerited favor. Again, if you add something to it, then it, it's no longer unmerited. Now it's merited. You understand what I'm saying? But grace is unmerited favor. In other words, God favors you, not because of any goodness that's in you. It's not because you're good. It's because God is good. Amen. And see, what, here's, the, here's the thing is that faith needs, faith needs God's goodness to thrive. The Bible says that goodness leads us to repentance. It's experiencing God's goodness that causes us to repent. But there's a there's kind of a legal. And, you know, here's what I, you know, I've been like I've been preaching for close to 50 years. I've been a Christian for for all, over 50 years. I've been preaching a lot of that time, but I officially went into the ministry in 1977 full time. So I'm preaching a long time. And what I've seen is that in legalistic environments, in legalism, there's a lot of religious legalistic environments. You have sin, but it's usually hidden. Nobody wants you to know about it because everyone wants to put on the appearance that everything's good. I remember one time I heard this preacher he, um, he talked about grace, and he goes, the next Sunday, all the deacons were out smoking in the, in the parking lot. And, and the, the one guy said, see what you did? Now they, now they went back into sin. And, and the pastor goes, go ask them how many were, sin, how many were smoking uh, on the side. And every single one of them were smoking on the side. But now they go, now I'm free to smoke and not hide it. How many know that the first step in getting free of sin is, is getting it out in the open? Hiding, um, you know, the Bible talks about hiding our transgressions that will not prosper. But when we renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, that's when things start getting, that's when we start getting free of those things. And so we have to have a grace environment, not a legalistic environment. And so the third thing is... Uh, Grace alone. Does that make sense? So grace alone. The fourth one is Christ alone. And the last one is for the glory of God alone. So these are the five points or the five uh, bases of the of the uh, of the uh, Protestant Reformation. I was going to say Lutheran, but Protestant Reformation. And so and so it's very important for us to understand the, the that. God is inviting us into a relationship with himself. And he does this uh, through, a through a gift, not through our, our works or our merit, but through a gift. And so, how many know this is true? God wants you to grow up spiritually in an environment of acceptance, of unconditional love. You know, children, they say this about children, that children need to grow up in an environment of acceptance without conditions. They need correction. Don't misunderstand me. I, I'm not the type of guy that, that goes, hey, everything's okay. I'm not that. You ask my kids. I was like the troll that lived under the bridge <laughs> that would come out and say, what's going on? You know, that, that. I but actually, understanding grace and understanding the love of God helped me a lot in relating to my kids, but I still corrected them. You can ask them. 
Joe's here today. You can ask Joe. Joe? He correct. I correct. Joe thinks he got brutalized. You know, I was brutalized. I don't. It was at all in love. Yeah. But anyways. Uh, but um, but they, they need to grow up in an environment of acceptance where they're honored and valued. I remember one time I heard this guy talk about talk about the whole thing about honor. And he said that he saw this example one, one time, and I, I believe that every person deserves honor. It doesn't mean that they don't need to be corrected, but they all deserve to be honored. And I remember one time I, I heard this example of honor where this, this guy came out with this, you know, came out to perform with his violin. And um, he was, he was uh, you know, it's an, it was an old looking violin, and so everybody's kind of like, did you find a new violin? You know, so he's kind of just monking around with it and he's talking about this violin and people are kind of like, oh my goodness, you know, kind of bored. And, and so he keeps kind of tuning it and, and, and then, then all of a sudden he gets done tuning and gets ready to, sit, to play a song and he looks inside the violin he goes, Stradivarius. I was waiting for the awe. Because all of a sudden, over the whole crowd, this oh, went like that. Because a Stradivarius is like this incredibly valuable, it's like a million dollar violin. So you should have gone, oh. <laughs> See, you're, you were looking at it, they were all looking at it like, what a piece of junk. Can't that guy find a new violin? But as soon as he said Stradivarius, everybody goes, oh. And so that's what, that's what honor is. And so I used to try to do this with my kids. That when they'd walk in, i go, oh. Right? They go, what? You know, they start doing the Hamlet on me. Heimlich. <laughs> you swallow something? But, but, but the point is, is that it's honor because God crowned man with glory and honor in the beginning. And so people need to grow up in an environment of honor. It doesn't mean they don't need to be corrected or adjusted. They just need to be growing up in an environment of honor. And that's what God's trying to get across to us here is that he, 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 he has so honored us by giving us his only son. And so I want to talk to you a, a little bit today. By faith alone, this is part two, and I want to talk about the sin, the great sin of unbelief. The great sin of unbelief. So here's the thing, when we talk about faith, a lot of times what people think about is they think about that word being used in connection to like a denomination, like Baptist faith, or Lutheran faith, or Catholic faith. And that's not how the word is used in the New Testament. How, you know that, right? There, there's really only one faith. And the faith that we're talking about here is the faith that Jesus authored. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. He is the author. He authored faith. Faith that we're talking about is the one that Jesus authored it. He finished it. And that when we become believers in Christ, he gives us, he comes to live in us, and so his faith lives in us. Galatians says, Paul said, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He didn't say I live by faith in the Son of God, but he said I live by the faith of the Son of God. So in other words, what God does Peter said that we have all obtained like precious faith, like precious faith. So in other words, you have the same faith that Peter had. 
You have, in fact, you have the same faith that Jesus had because he gave you a portion of his faith. Now, some people find that crazy. How can you say that? But how many know that we all believe that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, right? We believe that the peace of God that passes all understanding is in our hearts. We believe in the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, not your joy, but the joy of the Lord. If we can have God's joy, God's love, God's peace, why can't we have God's faith? Does that make sense? So that means that you have that demon stomping, tree uprooting, mountain moving, help me out here, water walking, dead raising, overcoming, chain breaking, demon stomping, I said that already. You got that faith inside of you. Now, it may not be developed inside of you, but you got it. You've got a measure of it because God has dealt to every man a measure of that faith. You don't have an inferior. You might be sitting there thinking, I think I got an inferior brand. No, you got the real thing. You just need to begin to recognize. You know, there's a verse in Philemon. I, I didn't write all these verses down, but there's a verse in Philemon where it says, that the communication of your faith becomes effectual or effective by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. When you're in Christ Jesus, Christ deposited something inside of you. And when you, when you, be, when you start acknowledging that, your faith becomes effective. Amen? You know, I don't like when people say, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. I don't like that. I also don't like it when people say, when they change the word of the song of Amazing Grace, where they go, I remember I was listening to a guy sing that one time, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. <laughs> me, holy. Uh, but, you know, I, I never like it. You used to say, I, I heard this one guy singing, Amazing grace has saved someone like me. No, no, I was a wretch. And so were you. But I'm not a wretch anymore. Because the life of God is inside of me. The, character, the nature of God's inside of me. The life of God's inside of me. The faith of God, the joy, the peace of God's all living inside of me. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm no longer a wretch. But I was a wretch. And so were you. But what happened was the transformation of grace took place. Amen. And so I love that. I love the fact that the most well-known Christian song is probably Amazing Grace. And it truly is amazing. So what happened is that the faith of God has come into us. Amen. So here's, let me just give you, let's go back a little bit. Let's, because we're talking about foundations, let's use the most common verse that you see everywhere in the new, that you see everywhere. I mean, you see it at, at football games. Uh, you know, they, they're, kicking the, they're kicking the extra point or the field goal. You look in the stands, what, what do you see held up? John 3.16. You see it everywhere. John 3.16. Why? It's the most famous verse in the New Testament. So uh, let's look at that verse. Let's read verses 16, 17, 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes, everybody say believes. believes. 
believes in him should not perish. He who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the purpose that he came was not to condemn us, but to save us. The whole world, not just a few people, the whole world. I don't like the doctrine that says there's only a few that are designed to be saved. No, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and the sins of the whole world. Salvation is offered to the whole world. Might be saved. He who, now listen to this, this is very careful. Listen, very careful. He who believes in him, in Jesus, he who believes in him is not condemned. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why is he condemned already? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So right there, it lays it out so clearly for anybody to see that the hinge point or the tipping point in this whole thing is believing or not believing in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you'll not perish, you're not condemned. If you don't believe, you'll perish, you're condemned already. In other words, you start out in a condemned state, but if your, your faith in, what, in the goodness of God, in salvation, in what Jesus came when, he, when God sent him, your faith in what Jesus did for you, dying for your sins on the cross, your faith in that causes you to no longer be condemned. As far as God is concerned, you're no longer condemned, but you become a child of God. These verses tell us that God loves everybody, not just Christians. That he demonstrated his love by offering us and giving to us the most valuable gift, his only begotten son. It's value, he's valuable because of who he is, but it's also valuable because of what it bestows upon a believing person. Who, and then he goes, whosoever. So whosoever means anyone. Means everyone. Anyone, everyone. It means no one's excluded. There's no class distinction, no race distinction. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, man or a woman. Those are the only two sects, by the way. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're short or skinny, tall or fat. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. Doesn't matter. Whosoever believes in him will not perish. If you believe in him, you will not perish. But you'll have everlasting life. You'll have eternal life. Isn't that good news? You know, John also defines what everlasting life is. He says that, look at John 17, verse 3 real quick. He says, this is eternal life, or this is everlasting life. That they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So what is eternal life? It's, knowing, it's having the, the privilege of knowing God personally. That's what eternal life is, is to not be condemned, not perish, and know God personally. So whoever believes in him is not condemned. So here's the key to being condemned or not condemned, perishing or not perishing, it's, it's, it's believing on Christ. That's the key. So what is the key? Believing. That's the hinge. That's the hinge word. Now, I want you to look at another verse here. Turn over here to John chapter 16. I got a long ways to go here. How, how am I doing? Doing pretty good on time? How are you guys doing? Doing good? Yeah, I'm doing good, yeah. Get a little hungry, but I'm doing good otherwise. 
little tired, worked hard last night. John six, look at John 16, verse 8. It says, And when he, talking about the Holy Spirit, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Now, if I stop right there, that when the Holy Spirit has come, we're all familiar with the Holy Spirit convicting people of sin. We're all familiar with that. We say, well, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not true. But if you look at those three words, sin, righteousness, and judgment, this is how a religious mind interprets that. Of, of sin, because we're all sinners. Of righteousness, because we all need to be righteous. And if we don't, we get judgment. Of judgment, because we, we're going to get it. Boy, we're going to get it in the end, buddy. That's kind of how a religious mind defines those three words. But look, if you keep reading, look what he, he, he actually explains it. He said, of sin, because they do not believe in me. So what is the sin? They do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin. What's the sin? They don't believe in me. That's the sin that sends the sinner to hell, is they don't believe in me. That's the hinge thing right there, of sin because they don't believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you'll see me no more. So what did Jesus do when he went to the Father? He established eternal, everlasting righteousness. Because he offered his blood, you know, they said he went into the heavenly holies of holies. He offered his blood as an eternal sacrifice for every single one of us. He paid the penalty for your sin and my sin. One, one offering for sin for all time. Jesus, the book of Hebrews tells us that he offered that on the heavenly mercy, on the heavenly, in the heavenly's holy, holy on the mercy seat. And he paid for man's sin. So that means what right now, there is blood that is on the mercy seat crying out to you, crying out on your behalf. And it's saying, have mercy on Steve. Have mercy on Steve. Have mercy on Fred. Have mercy on Bill, whoever you are. Have mercy. The blood cries out for mercy. Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. That's why the Bible, when it talks about, talks about God, it, it, when it says things like love and mercy, it never just says love and mercy. It says how great a love, how rich in mercy. It always uses adjectives to describe what it is, and it's always so rich, it's always so full, it's always so powerful, it's always so vast, it's always so far-reaching. It goes where no man could ever go before. Just to throw Star Wars in there. That's why I like some of these old hymns. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their sense of guilt and shame. There is a fountain today. Amen. But our redemption is found in Christ. So what is the sin? The sin is they believe not on me. What is righteousness? I go to the Father and establish right. What is judgment? Boy, you're going to get it in the end. No, because the ruler of this world is judge. Satan is judged. What is judgment? Satan's judged. He has lost his power over your life. He's lost the ability to control you and dominate you. He's lost that ability. The prince of this world is judged. That's why the Bible says, that he destroyed him or paralyzed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus paralyzed the devil when he died and rose again from the dead. So what is the great sin 
of unbelief. It's not believing on Jesus and what he came to bring. That's the great sin. So how does faith come? So I, I put this down in my notes. My wife said, don't preach from your notes. <laughs> but I want her to know that I'm the boss. <laughs> I, I'm the boss of me. <laughs> You're not the boss of me. I'm the boss of me. <laughs> So in my notes, I said, sin is worse than you think, but God is gooder than you think. And I know that gooder is not a word, but I don't care. God is gooder than you think. Sin is worse than you think. So how does faith come? Does faith, like we saw last week, that faith comes by hearing in hearing by the word of God. So here are some words that describe what faith is like. The word looking, the word considering, the word focusing, the word attending, the word pondering, the word meditation. These are all words associated with faith. You know, it's interesting. In John chapter 3, we read verse 16. Look at verse 14 and 15. John 3, verse 14 and 15. It says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, he's describing a story in the Old Testament where the children of Israel complained to God and were complaining about God and Moses. And so these snakes came were starting to bite the people and they were dying. And so they start saying, Moses, help us. Pray to God. And so God, Moses prays to God and God says, put a serpent on a pole. Now, listen to this. That's what Jesus was referring to there in John chapter 3. Put a serpent on a pole. Whosoever is bitten, let him look. Let him look. Put, put, put numbers, but I didn't know you had numbers. Put, notice right toward the last there, he said, So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he, what? Looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. When he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now Jesus, in John chapter 3, put John chapter 3 back up. When Jesus talked about that, he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever, now he says, believes. So what is believing? Believing is looking. Believing is looking. Believing is beholding. Believing is, uh, is gazing. And so you'll see this several places when it talks about faith. It says, look at Hebrews 12, verse 2. It says, looking away from all that will distract unto Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith. So what, what is, it's, it's like this. I used this as an illustration one time. It's sort of like this. I was going to do this, but I didn't, I didn't think it would work. But I was going to take a picture of you. But I don't know if I had to get everybody's written permission to put it up on the... But, but, but think about this for a second. This is what we do when we, we take a picture, is we frame the picture. It's like if I want to take a picture of my wife, I, I, would, I would close in on her and I would frame it. And I, I, don't want, I don't want anything else in the picture. I want just her in the picture. She's beautiful. Making points here now. <laughs> She's gorgeous. 
I adore her. She's the bright spot of my life. I told her that this morning. I said, you're one of the bright, bright spots in my life. She goes, oh, really? I said that this morning. I was that close to writing a poem. But, but here, here's my point. Is, so what I, would, what I do is I, I, would put, I would frame the picture and none of you guys would be in it. I would purposely frame it. That's what faith does. Faith purposely frames a picture. It focuses on what it wants to see. See, see this verse says, looking away from all that distracts. Looking away from everything that distracts. Where? Looking where? To Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. So in other words, I have to, I have to, if you're going to be a person full of faith, you're going to be somebody who, who, who is focused and you frame what you are going to think about, what you're going to meditate on. You know, like Peter, I think a good example of this is Peter walking on the water. You know, Jesus, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. So Jesus says, come. And so he starts out, he starts walking on the water. I mean, come on, guys. People say, well, he sank. Come on. When's the last time you walked on water? I remember one time I heard this preacher who read that story. He thought, I'm going to. I'm going to go walk on water. Then he put his bathing suit on and went on. <laughs> How many know if you put your bathing suit on and going to go walk on water, you're not talking, you're not thinking you're going to walk on water. You're thinking about you're going to go for a swim, right? <laughs> but he, Jesus said, come. And so Peter jumped out of the boat and he's walking. Think about this. This is like a, this is like a Stradivarius moment. Ah, he is walking on water, folks. Walking on water. And then he, now get, this is what I don't understand. All of a sudden, he gets distracted by the wind and the waves. Now, what difference does that make? All of a sudden, oh, it's windy day. As if on a, clear, on a calm day, you could do this. You can't do this on a calm day or a windy day. There's no way you can do this. But he gets distracted, and as soon as he gets distracted, he takes his eyes off Jesus. He starts to sink. See, what faith does is faith... Is there's a focus to faith. There's a focus to faith. It's like this. You know, the doctor said this. This person said this. This person said this. I say this. But yeah, but what does God say? Right? I'm not saying you should ignore all those, but I'm just saying, what does God say? When, when, so what faith does is faith, faith frames the picture. What is God saying? What is God saying? God is saying this. We ought to pay attention. In fact, Hebrews says we ought to give them more earnest heed to the things that we've heard. Let any time we let them slip. In other words, God's voice has to be greater or stronger inside of us than any other voice. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. See, notice the word look. We look. Paul said, we purposely look, not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And so when it comes to faith, there's always a focus to faith. We're looking to something, looking unto Jesus. The last thing I want to just say about faith, because I want to move on to the next one, trying to finish this up. So the last thing I want to say about faith is, 
that faith, the release of, of faith is by our words. The release of faith is by our words. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We release, faith is released through what you say. So when God is, you know, saying something to you, that's what, that's what Abraham did, was Abraham said what God said. What did God say? God said, I've made you the father of many nations. I mean, he had no physical proof that that was true. He just had God's word for it. So it says, it says that he, with respect to the promise of God, he focused on the promise of God. He grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. In other words, he began to declare that he was what God said he was. A father of many nations. So that's why it's so important for us that, to, to watch really what we say. Amen? Let's all stand together. So faith. So what is the issue between being condemned, perishing, or being saved and receiving eternal life? The, the, the hinge word is belief. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Believing is looking it, it has to do with focus, has to do with pondering, has to do with perceiving. Without it, our faith it becomes inactive. You know, a year ago, I stopped. I used to watch the news every night. I don't know why I used to watch it. I used to watch the good, the good station. <laughs> There's really bad, really, really bad but I used to watch the good one. But you know, after a while, I just thought to myself, I'm not, I'm not gonna watch this anymore. So I just quit, I just quit. It was, I, had to, I went through withdrawals. I mean, I had to, I had to take cold showers and, <laughs> and bite, you know, bite down on a, on a belt to, to endure. But I finally got rid of the habit of watching the news. Because I just, want to, I just want my mind to be filled with hope and filled with faith. How many know that God hasn't given up on this world? God has not given up on America. God has not given up on the government. God has not given up. In fact, I think God is positioning us for something so incredible. I think God is positioning us for the greatest breakthrough we have ever seen in our lifetime. But I want to walk around with a spring in my step, you know. At, you're 68, it's hard to spring much, but I want to walk around with a spring in my step. I'm not going to walk, walk around with a spring in my step. I'm listening to the bad news all the time. Because I'm not framing my picture. All I'm seeing is gloom and doom. America's on its last leg. The leftists will get us this. Communists won't. Or, you know, you know it's, just, it's just unbelievable. I, I mean, it's amazing. I just, I, sometimes I'll, I'll look at the headlines, and some of them are just hilarious. The trees are dying. <laughs> I remember one time I was sitting there thinking, I was, this is honest to God truth. I was thinking, it says the trees are dying. The oxygen levels are going down. 
I'm going, oh, oh, I can't breathe. It's like they, they figure out something that's just out of whack to, to, to report on. That's so negative. How many know that God rules above it all? And he's got a plan. And we're his children. And we're the apple of his eye. And he's engraved us on the palms of his hand. We are ever before him. Amen. We're his, son, we're his children. We're his sons and daughters. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. Hallelujah. Praise God. His spirit lives in us. We're his righteousness. We have his nature and we bear his name. He's going to take care of us. And he's got something really good in store. Amen. Let's all pray together. Lord, I thank you that we can gather around your word. That we can see that there's hope and that there's faith and that there's a bright future and that there are glory days ahead and there are, are, are your church is rising in the earth. Your church is declaring your word. Your church is filled with your glory, Lord. Your church is going to be glorious in these days. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that our children's children's children are blessed. We just thank you, God, that no weapon formed against us individually, no weapon formed against America, no weapon that's formed can prosper, Lord. We declare that over our nation. No weapon that's formed, Lord, that you are going to you're going to uh, confound every weapon that's formed against our nation, against our life, against our family. Every weapon, it will not prosper, Lord. It will not prosper. Hallelujah. This is the heritage of the children of God and the righteousness of me, saith God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing this song together.
song. Amen? Amen? You know, I was thinking about this a few years ago. I had a pastor friend tell, ask me if I wanted to go to Pakistan on a mission trip. And I said, Pakistan? Isn't that where they behead Christians? I mean, I'm just like, you can't go there. They're, you know, I, I just kept thinking to myself, that's a crazy place. And I know you are far more spiritual than me, but I was thinking I was, I was wanting to die with my head intact, you know, that's, and um, a couple years after that, I saw a missionary who had gone to Pakistan 
he was from Norway, which I thought, way to go. And I, I saw his crusade, and there was all these Muslims, and he was preaching, and miracles were breaking out. And what had happened was one of the main chiefs of one of the families or tribes got healed of cancer. And so he opened up his family to this missionary. And I, I was just stunned. And I thought to myself, you know, as I'm sitting around thinking about how impossible a situation would be to go there, other people are pressing in to the kingdom of God. Amen. And I just thought to myself, I just kept hearing this word as we were worshiping, the word summons. Like there's a heavenly summons that's being issued to this church and to the church. That in, in the midst of all the impossibilities that we see with all the things that are going on in our nation, there is a summons. The kingdom of God is being declared in the earth and people are pressing their way in. And there's a summons to us today. It's time to, to rise up. It's time to press our way into the kingdom. It's time not to be distracted, not to turn to the left or to the right. Jesus is beckoning us to tell us to come. Come. Now is the time to take the kingdom. The violent, not physically violent, but the kingdom of God suffers violence. And the violence press their way into it. And there is a press. I just I see this so strong. And there is a press in the body of Christ today right now where people are pressing in the midst of all the chaos. People are pressing their way in. They have their eye on Jesus and they're pressing their way in to the kingdom of God. And, and they're doing things that thought impossible at one time. Amen. So that's my word to you this morning. I want to give you the opportunity if you need prayer prayer counselors could please come forward. If you need prayer, please, um, as soon as I dismiss, we have some coffee bars open. I don't know what they got. They sneak treats in, so there may be, they hide them different places in the building, so you might, you might be able to find one if you check around the kitchen area, but anyway, so I'm so glad that you guys came today. I hope you were inspired a little bit. And so um, to do great things, amen? Praise God. Well, God bless you all. Have a great week. You're free to go. If you need prayer, please come forward. God bless you, girl.